My name is John Downs. I'm the founder of the Centre for Fortune Zoology, and you're listening to Inside the Goblin Universe. Hello again, folks, and welcome to another edition of the Paranormal UK Radio Network's Inside the Goblin Universe. I am but one of your co-hosts. My name is Ronald Murphy. I'm Brian Bowden. I am the other co-host of this show. There's two of us. So <laughs> yes, there good, are. There's two know. of us. Two and for the price of one. And speaking of radio that we just spoke of, uh, we have a guest on today that is also associated with a podcast. Yes, he is. Um, it's Justin Cantieri, and he is the co-host of the Paratruth Radio program. Justin, you know, how are Justin, you doing? I am absolutely fantastic. How are you guys doing? Excellent, my friend. Excellent. So as uh, you being a co-host, that means that there's another host along there with you, isn't there? Yeah, it is my cousin Eric, and uh, we've been doing podcasting for since 2008, off and on a little bit here and there, but for the most part, since 2008 is when we started. Wow, that's pretty impressive. That's nine years yep. in a uh, – in, in, it's a difficult world, isn't it? I mean, to, oh. to have a show, to try to stay current and uh, to try to stay fresh, it's, it's a very difficult thing, and I, and I give you all, all the applause because you've been able to do this for such a long period of time. Oh, yeah. And I mean, just in the fact that uh, uh, ideas and opinions change constantly. I mean, it's it's hard to keep up with your own opinions, let alone somebody else. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Now, do you guys get along pretty well? Because Brian and I, we get along pretty well. We have not had any fist fights or anything. But you said that you're doing this with a with a cousin. And I can imagine that whenever you have family, that intimacy sometimes breeds a rivalry or sometimes, you know, outright hatred. How do you deal with that? Well, luckily, he and I are both jokesters so even if we're getting into a heated debate because he comes from a fundamentalist christian perspective i come more from a mainstream perspective even if it's the biggest heated debate at the end of it where we both start joking with each other and truly it's not just we're family we're friends too we're we're best friends so it, it comes down to he's got his beliefs i've got mine and sometimes we'll agree, sometimes we'll just agree to disagree because, I mean, neither of us are going to sway the other. Right. I mean, I, I've, I've checked out the, the your, your podcast and I've actually checked out some of the videos and I think it's actually fantastic. I love the whole mixology thing that I saw on there, um, yeah. which is a great concept. I love that. <laughs> um, and I like the fact that you do video with audio. So and you're and, you know, it's real. It's It's a better podcast and it's a better radio show than a lot of the guys that have been on this for a while. Um, it kind of gets stale when you hear the same people over and over and over again. And Absolutely. you seem to nicely, you know, the, both perspectives are great, and, and the way it, it, it mingles, it, it's fantastic. So I'm glad to actually have you on the show. I've, we've been chatting, Justin and I have been chatting through another, co- uh, another host, um, Quack Quack. That's as far as I'm going to go. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, it, questioning like a guest and, and how you get the guests on and what's the best method it, it you know he put on a, a great little group there so it, it's kind of like a, a nice little community but um i was honored when you you know you had the book come out and like yeah come on please come on let's talk about the book and um but before we get into your 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 newest greatest thing a book how did you get started in the paranormal um that's the that's the ultimate question. How did you get started in this? Not just the radio. What got you to that point, and then you moved into the radio end of it. 
Um, well, actually, it, it's actually been a part of my life since I was a kid. I at around the teen area, I had a Ouija board. I had tarot cards that uh, I, I started messing around with, and then eventually it got to the point where I had gotten married, moved away from my family and then eventually got divorced, came back to Ohio. Uh, and Eric and I would sit around and talk about these different things like vampires, werewolves, ghosts. Cause we watched, uh, supernatural. We watched ghost hunters and, you know, got to the point where we're like, we should really do some type of show on this. And so at that point, I had never heard the word podcast. So right. I'm like, okay, I'm going to look up online radio shows, see what happens. And I'm like, whoa, holy crap, this thing's real. I mean, there's <laughs> a, such a thing as an online radio show. Yeah. So, and there's a lot of them. That's the other thing, too. I was, I was exactly in the same boat that you were in. You know, I thought, you know, there might be two or three of these things out there. And then you Google it, and it's, it's, it's like page upon page of people that have these podcasts out there. Yeah. And it's in every topic you can think of. Oh, so, yeah. And they break them down into, like, the little bits and pieces. No, we only talk about <laughs> exorcisms. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> you know, we only talk about ghosts. But um, I like yours because yeah. you're you're you you got you know you straddle that you know you you do whatever comes your your way. Although uh, from what I understand, you're a big cryptid guy. Oh, absolutely! Both Eric and myself, I think that is our go-to subject uh, than any anything else. Because at one point we did have a paranormal investigation team too. That's kind of went hand in hand with our first show, and you know. It would always boil down to we would be talking more about cryptids than anything. And I don't know if it's because cryptids are a little more fathomable of like animals we've never discovered before compared to ghosts where we can't touch them, see right. them, even know if they truly exist. Well, that that well, I've seen some things that I, I can almost wager the farm. It does exist. But coming out oh, of I Ohio, have... did you you guys investigate the Ohio Grassman at all? Speaking of cryptids? Um, we didn't, but uh, a good friend of ours, Jody Cook, we've talked to him about it because yes. he's one of the, the more avid ones on it. Um, one thing that uh, I think is our claim to fame is we were one of the first teams to ever investigate Jeffrey Dahmer's family home where he killed Stephen Ooh. Hicks. That's just creepy. Yeah. That guy was just creepy. I, I... Not, not, yeah, that's a good point, Brian. Did you find the place creepy whenever you went into it, Justin? I mean, was there a vibe, you know, kind of attached, imprinted in this house whenever you entered? Um, I think just knowing what happened there is, was creepy enough. But, you know, it it did have that very chilly, heavy feeling uh, you know, some of the stuff that people came across was seeing a floating torso. You know, we had the Radio Shack hack ghost box and some of the stuff coming off of it was really eerie. Um, at one point we were doing an uh, a session in the living room where he killed him because it was Ugh. the garage and they converted it to that. And I ended up getting touched where I to the point that I had to actually walk out because the way that what was said, 
and then me being touched, I'm like, okay, um, I just need to step away for a minute. That's, that's a smart move. That is always yeah. a smart move. Um, yeah. So what, what, let me let me just ask you another question about this because this is very interesting. So. Did you think that uh, the the spirit or the ghost of Dahmer himself returned to the house, or is it because of just the re- release of human emotion and energy in the house? Hello. Yep, we're we're still have we're having a little technical difficulty right there, Ron. But um, one more. Can you can you state the question one more time? Only because you have to understand, folks. We do this via a, a Skype connection, and sometimes we have good connections, and sometimes we have bad connections or parasites on it. So, but um, I think Ron, what, what Ron was asking was, when you went in there, do you think it was the it was Jeffrey Dahmer's spirit going back to this house, or was it the ghost of the 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 people and the the children, pretty much that he he murdered coming out? Ah, uh, well, I mean, some of the human. Ron? It, it kind of falls into that um, weird whatever you kind of believe thing because there are people that believe when you're in jail, your soul can't leave that those grounds because for whatever reason they're protected by limestone, saltstone, whatever. Um, I, I, honestly, I believe it was Dahmer because the topic was about something about his life uh, that we were talking to him about. And then the way that I was touched. It almost felt like a lover touching yeah. their their companion. So, in my opinion, I I think it, there was more of a mixture. But the one that touched me was definitely Dahmer. Wow, yeah. wow, that, that is incredible. That that'll keep you up at night. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we've I mean, investigated had... some creepy places, but that that type of stuff is just wow. It went, when we left, um, I had went to my cousin Eric's house. That's where my car was. I went to leave. And I don't know if it was Dahmer. I don't know if it was a demon attaching on to negative uh, energy. But in this really low voice, I heard, hello, Justin. I'm like, I compel you to get the heck away from me by the light of God, blah, 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 blah. And... I heard goodbye, and that was it. I'm like, okay, I'm done for today. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You, yeah, you might have actually been propositioned by the ghost <laughs> of Jeffrey Dahmer. You never know what might have happened. Just what I just just don't go out to eat with him. That's all I can tell you. Well, yes. Yes. <laughs> table for two, please. That's um, <laughs> um, no, it, it's it's funny because we we just did a, a a conference over in Ocean State to raise uh, money for. Um, uh, the Coalition Against Domestic Violence up there in Rhode Island. And we interviewed a lot of these um, what we call para celebrities from Ghost Hunters, Joe Chin, we, uh, Porter from um, uh, Tennessee Wraith Chasers. And one of the questions, you know, I was trying to figure out questions to ask them. Um, the most important question is, how do you protect yourself when you go into an investigation? Um, so did you did you protect yourselves before you went into this? Or was it after the fact you said, we got to start doing something to protect ourselves before we go in there? Uh, we were protecting ourselves from from the beginning when we started the the group. Uh, it was around that time that we went there that uh, we had been 
saved again and came back to Christianity. So we were protecting ourselves more with religion than what we were before, because before we were doing the traditional salt around yourself, around other people, uh, white light, which actually I still use the white light method. Um, And so we were protecting ourselves before. Uh, I think when I actually got touched, it, it threw me. So I let my guard down. So that gave whatever it was a chance to attach itself and come on home, at least to Eric's house with me. <laughs> He's left him at my cousin's house. house. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, don't go to the garage for a couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, another good point is uh, whenever we talk to people in the paranormal, a lot of people don't want to talk about religion. But I think the more you interview people, the more you find out that religion does take uh, a very important part of the investigator's life. I know that I'm a religious person, and I, you know, I carry my rosary beads around with me. I'm Catholic, and the people that Brian and I have been interviewing, we find out that these are people of faith. You know, by and large, Big time. whenever you're talking about you know paranormal investigators, we're talking about people of faith, and people don't really talk about that very much. Oh yeah, and it is hard to talk to a, a lot of people of faith about it because for example the fundamentalist christians will say oh it's just all demons or the the buddhists and and hindus are a little more apt to believe in that sort of thing because they leave, believe in reincarnation uh and that sort of a thing so it's it it kind of goes along with what religion you follow is what really not only uh shows what what you're going to use in your investigations but also how you protect yourself and if you believe is it taboo and that sort of a thing well mm-hmm. yeah i mean the, when we do investigations before we first of all we, we have a psychic and uh that person's in our uh you know in another state well away from us we've never met them talked to them a couple of times never met them they do a, a preliminary scan they actually they we're so connected with them that they she usually calls up and says, what are you guys doing? <laughs> and she knows before we do. Um, if she tells us right off the bat that don't go in there, we're not going to go in there. Um, okay. It's just a given. But when we do get to a place, um, there's a bunch of different faiths there. But we, we, we start with, uh, you know, there's an Our Father, uh, the uh, St. Saint, uh, um, Michael. Uh, we burn sage. We uh, protect us with that love and light, uh, light around us. And we protect our equipment, too. Um, a couple of people said ohms. I say a, a prayer for a traveler's prayer. Um, I'm a very religious person, too, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> um, I'm the jester up there. Um, but I am very religious, and I actually am an ordained minister. Um, so I have the I believe in the faith and the power of a, of a supreme being that's there to protect us. And when you call on that person and that entity, they will protect you. Um, yep. And no hands, ifs, or buts. But it's a pretty interesting way to start out in this field. Hey, let's go to Jeffrey Dahmer's house. Can you start slow, like the creepy house in the corner or something? Oh, you know, old man Witherspoon's house at the lighthouse, you know? We started in, and a lot of people are against us. We actually started out doing a, a cemetery in Cincinnati. It was a, uh, um, a, um, oh, what war was it? <laughs> Um, the Civil War. It was a Civil oh. War uh, cemetery, and there was supposed to be a gray lady there. Um, we did a museum 
you know, just ourselves, not the museum really knowing we're doing anything. We did <laughs> recording. Been there, done, been there, there. done that. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, basically the, the typical his, historical sites that you didn't either have to pay to get into or you weren't doing an investigation in somebody's home. And, uh, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer's house was actually bought and was being rented to a guy. So this guy actually, the owner, wanted a, a story to, to write a book or, or sell a movie or whatever it was. I can't yeah. remember. Um, so that, us and another team had gotten invited to do that. We did an investigation in a business building um, because there was some pretty creepy reports there. Uh, we did an investigation in a bowling alley, a bar, uh, all of which were, were recommendations from other teams because we were just starting out. And uh, we did get into a one home where there was a child being affected and they wanted to hand it off to us and we're like, absolutely, we'll be there right away. Oh, yeah. I mean, anytime someone's in, in trouble, especially with children, um, we're there. We, 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 we do it, and we have no problems doing it. The only problem, I, and I, I'll say this every time I say it, um, when I go into to a house, when we, we confront if there's a demon there, I'm out. I'm done. We'll call in Father Bob or, or you know, uh, St. Michael Warriors to, to take care of that. It's above my pay grade, and um, I, I just, you know... You, you know, you don't want a plumber doing heart surgery. You call in a heart surgeon. So right. um, we're out of, on that thing. Another thing that kind of freaks me out, and um, when when you go into a haunted situation or or a haunting, and if I if I come up against um, someone who's like a little girl, like you know, they'll, they'll come out like, "You want to play?" I'm like, "No, I'm out." It's never a little girl. <laughs> it's always a demon or something else. They want to just get you, you know, into that spot. So I'm like, I told my partner, I'm like, "Dude, we're gone." There's a little girl there. I'm out. Call somebody else in there. It's dangerous. <laughs> well, I think paranormal investigation as a whole is dangerous because what, whatever it is, whether it's a human spirit or something else, you're essentially inviting it in with for you. Yeah. To follow you home or or to to incorporate it into your own body. If it is a demon and you're talking to it, you're basically inviting it in there. So <laughs> that's right. You're having a conversation with something. Right. <laughs> now, now uh, to shift just a little bit uh, and go into the realm of cryptids, uh, what kind of cryptid investigations have you folks went on? Uh, we actually, I'm trying to think if we did any at all. Um, I don't think we really did any cryptids. Um, and that's something that Eric and I, I think, really regret because that's one of our favorite topics um the only thing that would kind of classify is we went to a lake and it was said that there was a wraith there i don't know if you guys are familiar with what a wraith is <laughs> I, yes. I i am yes i am um and i again me got grabbed by the chest and felt like I was, was having a heart attack or an anxiety attack. But this, this was only temporary to the point that as soon as I tried to protect myself, it went away. Um, 
No, I mean, I'm sure there's people out there that say that, oh, that was just coincidence. You were really just having an anxiety attack and you're saying the protection calmed yourself, which I, I think would be a possibility. But the, the coincidences alone uh, really outweighed what it just being something that I was was imagining. But, yeah, as far as Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, you know, the the uh, Chupacabra, I wish we've done investigations on it. We just have not. And maybe that's something for the future, because I would actually love to do that. I think we need to make this happen in your future, Justin. Yes. I really do. I can take you to a couple of places. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we've, we've, uh, we just actually, a couple of weeks ago, did a Bigfoot preliminary investigation in an area. Um, we've had our own experiences with the creature. Not physically seeing them. We... This is interesting. I caught a couple of your shows. You were talking about Bigfoot and, and, and the theories on it. And one of the theories there was uh, that it was an interdimensional creature. And I yeah. kind of scoffed at that until I had our experience at Nuclear Lake. And this creature moved literally from zero to a mile away in an instant. And through the pitch black, dark, solid woods. And the only way I can think that it could do that is if it could actually almost create a portal. And go in and out of things, but I can't prove it. So um, I just that was just my experience. That that kind of said maybe they are interdimensional, but until I can you know not prove it, but see it and see them do it, I'm still on the fence with the interdimensional portions of uh, the Sasquatch. Um, Ron, well, I think the biggest reason behind that is like even with taking pictures, most people get blurry pictures. Now, granted, most people don't use the greatest cameras and any type of movement will blur the creature. Right. It almost seems like it's more blurred pictures of the creature than not. Well, one of the things I've, and I've noticed a couple of, of, of videos recently of the, this creature being caught actually in the national geographic, a uh, big movie. I forgot the name of the movie. They actually caught a creature moving in, in the video. Um, but uh, when you see when you see photos of, of of a Bigfoot and it's aware that you're there or Sasquatch and it's aware that people are there in the presence, I think the main reason why the the pictures are mostly fuzzy around the creature, I have a feeling that it uses some sort of infrasound um, to to actually mess up um, or create a, almost like a cloak <clears throat> around it, and you'll notice in most of these photos that everything else is clear around it except for where that creature is. However, there was a video right. of a hawk cam or, or an eagle's nest cam, and they caught a Bigfoot on, on camera. Bigfoot wasn't aware that it was there, and it was clear. There was no fuzziness around it. So, um, again, I don't have a Bigfoot to prove it, <laughs> right. which I'd yeah. love to have. But I think uh, there's many animals in, in nature that do use infrasound um, as, as, a, as a protective device, and um, who knows, maybe Bigfoot is one of them. That's why the maybe they cloak themselves. Before, so you it, learn something new every day. It's it's an interesting theory, and if you can look at you know check out how infrasound works, um, it it preys on your nerves. It preys on on different aspects depending on what frequency you are on. Uh, one of the greatest things because you guys are movie guys too, The Exorcist hmm. was one of the first, if not the first, movie to use infrasound in its soundtrack purposely to get on the nerves of the audience. Okay. So there's a frequency, I think it's 14 hertz or something like that, or 13. Um, and it just makes you feel very uncomfortable and on edge, and, and you know, it bothers you. Um, and they use that. They put the, the frequency of the soundtrack into that, that frequency zone 
uh, I guess someone was studying the audio at that point, and it it added to its success. I mean, not like exorcism wouldn't scare you enough, but right. this on top well, of that. That's kind of like um, my my wife has a black lab, and their bark is a paralyzing bark in a sense. <laughs> yeah. Infrasound. There's infrasound in some of these dogs. Lions have it. Elephants have it. Um, but it's 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 a pretty interesting subject, and we can definitely get you into the cryptid zone. Uh, we'll have to figure that one out. <laughs> yeah, where do you live out now, Justin? What, what state are you in now? I'm in North Dakota. Oh, North Dakota. Now, is there? do you have cryptids up in that area? I mean, I'm sure you get Bigfoot every now and then, at least sightings. But, but I've never been that far north or west. I've been to Minnesota before. So so what happens in uh, in, in the Dakotas? Um, there was, I want to say, uh, maybe six months ago, there was a, there was a Bigfoot sighting and they were actually even covering it on mainstream radio. But of course they were making a joke out of it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> of um, course. but I, I believe that is the first or one of the very few Bigfoot sightings here because it's mostly prairie and, and flatland. So for anywhere for them to hide, it would be very rare for them to hide somewhere. So I think they probably try and stay away from this area if they can help it. Well, I know I know some of the cryptids that you would have out there dealt with uh, the North, um, the indigenous people, uh, the Indians, and mm. uh, Wendigos, and um, and and the Thunderbirds. Skinwalkers and Thunderbirds. Um, I think there are reports of those in the area. Um, all over I'm the sure area, actually. I'm sure there probably are. It's just I've never actually heard it around here, maybe just because I haven't done the research mostly. Because, um, you know, when, when we're doing our show, it's not anything specific to either state, because Eric's still in Ohio, where I'm in North Dakota, and we're just talking about everything as a whole, not right. anything cited in our areas. Well, I, I can recommend this. If you do go out when you go back to Ohio for a family visit, um, and you got to look for the grass man. It is a very aggressive Bigfoot uh, because it's it's isolated more so. It's not near anything really major or big. You know, big cities, it becomes very aggressive. It does. It's not. It's not on the nicer scale. Um, the the encounter we had, it gave us every shot we could to get out of there. And when it realized we weren't leaving, it just kind of gave up um, and moved on because they knew we weren't going to leave. But um, right. just be careful when you you know research that that those specific cryptids and in north dakota you definitely don't want to have a wendigo um skin well, walkers no. either but you know thunderbirds i can that's deal with from this what you believe the thunderbird is do you believe it's the pterosaur or do you believe there's an actual bird that can shoot lightning uh, i i don't i don't believe in technically the lightning uh <laughs> whatsoever really but i mean you know but when you when what happens is when you get scared, um, your mind starts to think of the worst possible things. Oh. So you'll probably see lightning, but it's not really there. It's just you're a flash of your eyes, you know, blinking so fast because you're freaking out. Um, then again, we don't know. You know, uh, there's a lot of videos now on on of of, uh, of pterodactyls and, and and thunderbirds, as they would call them. Um, the more so now than ever. I mean, I think that's a new hot property. Uh, but again, it depends on the camera, who's shooting it, where is it being shot? I mean, there's so many different variables that mm -hmm. we have to look at. But yeah. speaking of Thunderbirds and, and these cryptid creatures, you just penned your first novel, right? Um, Griffin. 
Yep, Legendary Creature Project The Griffin. Uh, and it's been a long time coming. I think that uh, it took a little bit longer than it should have, but I finally did get it out to the public. How long did it take you to write it? Um, the actual idea and typing it out a little bit here and there, it's actually taking, taking about four years, completely just sitting down to write it. It took about uh, a year and a half and then about six months of editing and trying to figure out how to actually publish the thing because traditional publishers very rarely pick up people. Uh, Self-publishing companies want buttloads of money. So uh, a friend of mine um, had said, you know, I published a book through Kindle Direct Publishing, which is an affiliate of Amazon, and and they are, it's free to do it. So I'm like, okay, that's how I'm going to do it. I mean, it sucks because it's, specific to amazon but at the same time they're they're one of the big ones right now so well, well i can i can also suggest something to you and i'll send you the information gannett tie um they have connections to paranormal uk radio network and they publish uh, tons of books and they're really good with their authors so um i'll get you in touch very with good with guys. promotion very good with promotion and promotion indeed. too right. um okay and and they they do a great job marketing so i'll send you that later on uh just if you want to take a look at it and talk to them uh, good sure. people there, but it you know it's 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 a tough it's a tough when you're writing a book. I mean, Ron knows. Ron, you, uh, are you on 19 now? <laughs> <laughs> no, I have 11 out, but I know it, it is very very difficult because it takes a lot of time to research. It takes a lot of time to write, and whenever you have this finished product prod, prod, product, you really want to get this project out uh, to as many people uh, you know that you can. And it's sometimes very frustrating because some of the traditional publishers uh, want to take all the money. I mean, they're <laughs> they're basically using their authors, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but like I said, you know, I, the book that you have written is one of these really fascinating ideas that I think a lot of our yeah. listeners just automatically latch on to. Uh, and it deals with something that people really don't think about too much nowadays, uh, the Griffin. So tell us why you chose this particular mythological, cryptozoological character. Uh, well, I the Griffin's been in the top five of my favorite um mythological creatures legendary creatures uh the dragon is my all-time favorite um but i thought that from the standpoint of the protagonist which is a man by the name of dr york hemshine uh it would be a challenge for him to come up with a legendary creature that would take two separate types of dna to to create Right, and and this is like a, a it's a crossbreed between. And there's a human element to this creature as well, right? If if I'm correct. Right. Yeah, it has to do with uh, human genetic manipulation, um, and you know, I was kind of inspired for this story by the movie of the Island of Doctor Moreau. One of my and, favorites. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely, one of mine, and um, you know it. it it's also a topic that's fascinated me, especially getting into the paranormal at a much older age and, and doing the research and doing the podcast. Um, and, you know, I've, I've come across the articles where they're saying we've already done this with the chimera embryos, which I believe is in Sweden. Um, and, you know, it's hard to, to think that we are actually at that point. 
But at the same time, there are so many scientists that are trying to play God that it, it I wouldn't put it past us to already be at that point. Oh, I, I, somebody has yeah. done it someplace. That's right. I oh, agree. 100%. I mean, it's a given. If you're given this tools, your wildest fantasies can come true, technically. And and I mean, one of the things that, that when I when I was, you know, reading a, little, a bit of, of your book and 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 thinking about this and where it came from, the first thing I thought of besides I actually thought of Dr. Moreau and the island and, and the, the creepiness of that. But I also was thinking about recently closer to where I am in New York, the Montauk monster and Plum Island, which is technically it's like the island of Dr. Moreau. Uh, yeah. These creatures are washing up on the shore. And if you've ever seen this Montauk monster, it has a griffinish quality to it, which is kind of interesting. So, yeah, uh, I had seen the pictures and, um, you know, I, as much as I would want to believe that it's just a washed up bulldog, um, <laughs> there's just too many odd things going on at Plum Island to to just brush it off as just a an animal that was waterlogged and washed up on t- onto the shore. And this isn't the first one. There have been several of them. Several of right. these type of creatures have washed up. They're very similar. They it it really does look like a cross between animal A and and animal B. Like a, it has a beak on it, like uh, pretty much the eagle. Um, it, and it has like a ratish quality to the legs and. It's it's mm-hmm. it's almost like a pig, in a way too. I mean, we're seeing some of these things. Recently, I saw some pigs being born, which which look like human faces on it. Um, it just scares the heck out of me to know that they're not telling us the truth. They probably are doing a ton of experiments with these things to see what they can create. And what's scary is, great, you create these monsters now. Um, and now you don't know, you know, what's the, the good and bad of it. How how can these things get, if they get loose, what are they going to do to the surrounding area, you know? Yeah, and <laughs> since you brought up the pig, I came across this very odd uh, theory from the, the Christian fringe area that the whole reason that God deemed pork bad was because that pigs were a hybrid of human and boar from the time of the Nephilim. Well, and I, yeah, I just kind of started chuckling to myself, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, I can kind of see that, but also too, pigs will eat anything, including human flesh. Yes. So in a sense, that makes them unclean as well. Well, if you, if I'll take it a step further, I've been to the island of Hawaii, and the natives there used to be cannibals, um, long, okay. long time ago. They're they're the largest uh, consumer of spam, which is pretty pretty much ham for the most part, or uh, processed ham in a certain way. Um, one of the reasons why it's they they enjoy it so much is because the taste of it is the closest they've had to human flesh. And this is, I've been told to me, directly to me by several Hawaiians, um, which kind of blows your mind. 
this oh, yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah. It, actually, in Indonesia, the uh, whenever they uh, went into uh, interview uh, the last remains, and this happened, you know, probably fifty or sixty years ago, the last remnants of uh, uh, cannibals that are indigenous to that area, uh, their name for uh, human flesh translates as long pig, because Ooh, you know it's it, yeah yeah. So that that's a very interesting thing. So you picked a yeah, good topic the with thing. the griffin there. <laughs> yeah. Same thing with the, the cannibals of Africa, because my wife has been to Africa, and they, they say the same thing, long pig. So it's kind of kind of eerie. and um, But, yeah, I mean, that that's kind of where I kind of got the idea for the book, because either we're already doing it or people are thinking about doing it. And, um, you know, the, the story actually evolved a lot because I actually started – doing a story in high school that was very similar in the concept of human animal hybridization, but it was originally a bat and human. And then eventually I I'm assuming I just thought, you know, I'm going to go a little bit further with it. So that's why I went into legendary creatures and I decided that this is going to actually be a trilogy. Well, oh, the right, trilogy is going to be great. I mean, you have a, a ton of different creatures you can actually get out of that. But does 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 any type of Greek mythology or or that that you know like before Christ mythology take part in it? Is is that part of it? Um, are there like uh, hidden? If you if you're a fan of Greek mythology, will you'll get a little bit of humor out of uh, some of the characters? Since one of them, I believe, is Achilles. Yeah, Achilles is. <laughs> Is the Griffin, and um, it? I mean, truly, that's what I was. I was kind of going by for this because uh, Griffins date back to to Greek mythology, uh, and the Yorks, one of Yorks favorite heroes of of Greek mythology, is Achilles. So that's why he chooses that name, and uh, it goes into why he's deciding the griffin and reading the book you, you'll understand a little bit more but he he can almost tries to convince this this creature that he is who york is telling him he really is and is there is there um i mean it's it's hard when you're writing a story you have one path and then when you start editing and you like do you arc over into is there uh i'm, I'm gonna go this way a love story portion of it or or not, or a sympathetic side before, you know, things get crazy? Yeah, um, in a sense, the the relationship between Achilles and Hillary, which is another character who is a uh, lab assistant of York's, it, it turns into more than just a, a friendship. They end up feeling more like family. Um, and... It's funny because my wife keeps telling me, you got to have a sex scene. You got to have a sex scene. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know how I can incorporate that into a an weird animal creature with humans. I don't know if I would have to be like this weird person that did that or just concentrate on human sex scenes if I were to do that. Well, but, it could have been. Uh, imp- it could be implied. Um, well, leave it up to the reader yeah. to decide whether they you know, have that relationship or not. Yeah, well, actually, you're making a good point, Justin, because you know you're you're at the mercy of publishing companies. And I remember uh, the first novel that I tried to sell was called The Pack, which was about 
a a group of female werewolves, and uh, I sent them all to a publisher in uh, in uh, Georgia, and they wrote back and they said they needed to have more sex within the book uh, before <laughs> they would uh, would 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 think think about taking it on. But absolutely, I mean that is the thing. You could go beyond your vision or outside what you had intended just to please the publisher, and you might actually end up with not the product that you wanted to at the very beginning. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that, uh, you know, I mean, it, sex sells, let's be honest. It does. But, it does. That's right. <laughs> How I buy uh, it. I think well. that, um, <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, originally I was trying to gear this towards everybody where it could be a kid reading it or an adult reading it and they would all enjoy it. So I was trying to stick to where, it was a little bit cleaner, even though there is there are graphic scenes um, where people die. I was trying to keep it to where anybody could read it, at least into the mid to late teens. So I was like, I'll start with this. And then, you know, as the trilogy goes along, I'll see where it goes from there. Yeah, I mean, it's a fine line you have to straddle these days. Um, it's really uh-huh. weird. The, no, no, making the sex you. Yeah, straddling. Thank you very much. We'll be here all week. Um, thank you very much. Uh, but but if you think about it, people don't have the problem with people being killed in it. But once you start getting a sex involved, oh, there's an issue. Um, right. It's it's part of. I mean, if this creature's maturing and there's a relationship there, and there's feelings like you know they feel sorry for this creature, and this one is a doctor, you know that that is creates this monster, and you know. There, there. Even in Frankenstein, there was feelings there. Um, mm-hmm. Well, in Young Frankenstein, there definitely was feelings in there. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. but you know, another I, one of my all-time favorites. Oh, it's a way. classic. Put the candle back. Um, but <laughs> what I'm thinking, I mean, like when, when I started reading, when I read of it, and I, I now I want to go out and purchase your book, and we're going to go into where you can get get the copy of this for for. For anybody that wants to read it, which I think you're going to want to read it. Oh, I think I'm sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, I just automatically, because I, I also think movie, and this is like, this is up there with, this should be on the Sci-Fi Channel. This is a Sci-Fi Channel miniseries or mini movie like Sharknado, um, but not campiness. Um, or a little, <laughs> no, seriously, because this is something that's, that's, I can see this being made into a movie, and and if anybody out there is listening and producing, we're going to give you Justin's information so you can get him into the movies right now. Well, that's the thing is because it's it's taken from a very intelligent angle, and very few books uh, that are fictionalized uh, come from an intelligent angle. So that's really the reason why I think that this kind of idea, this concept would catch on is because people do want to read about this stuff, especially if they're interested in the paranormal cryptozoology. People automatically want to read about this kind of stuff, but where are you going to find a good book? That is the problem that we're facing. And then one of the reasons why we have you on our show today inside the Goblin Universe is, Justin, you were able to do this in an intelligent way, and I think that our listeners would like to read something that comes from this particular angle. Yeah, and I I have said this to a couple of people. I think this is a good marriage between fantasy and science fiction because you are getting a little bit of as- aspect of A, where it's a griffin, legendary creature, and you got the science fiction aspect where there was more to it than just this doctor found this creature in the wild. Yeah, it's, it. you know, 
that's what I like about it. Um, it goes along with the genre of, of what's been, you know, kind of getting to, to, to the public's eye, and actually even the younger kids. And I know you want to be more teens, uh, possibly with this, because it is a heavy subject. But you know, the Harry Potters, um, the creatures within Harry Potter itself. Um, then you right. get into the whole. Um, I forgot the the name of the, of the werewolves and vampire movies. Um, the the young Twilight. Teens, Twilight. Twilight. Yeah. So I mean, like this is one of those genres where I could see this this series taking off for you. Um, I'm just I'm just intrigued. Like, what's next? It, you know, and without giving it away, I mean, have have you you, you mentioned dragons before? So is that the next <laughs> the next creation, or you know, or did you? Uh, destroy something on the uh, you know where where the uh, the lab was now where they have to move to a different location you know um well they it's going to be in a different location um the the next creature is the, the name of the book is the legendary creature project the worm um if you know what a worm is it depending on the depiction of it it's basically a dragon without wings some depicted as wow. no limbs some depict it with limbs um and the reason i did that is because i've already done the griffin which is a flying creature and a mix between two different dnas that would have to create the creature where this one's going to be a little bit different um and there's going to be a little bit of secret society mixed in there's going to be a little bit of uh suspense mixed in and actually i've already decided the third book is going to be the legendary creature project anubis anubis oh, very cool very cool that's, that's sweet going to um you know he he decides that he's tried creatures so he just he wants to go into resurrecting a god oh man it's i i you know I'm seeing I'm seeing this these as movies right now, TV series <laughs> movies right now. So and I know I know your cousin does movies as well. So why don't you start crack a lacking on that one? <laughs> oh, I, I've talked to him about it, and you know if he had the resources, I'm sure he would absolutely put it together. But uh, I mean, it really falls down to what type of effects right. can you use for this? Because I had. Uh, my friend from Tiger Girl for God Radio, Jerry Kozak, asked me, you know, how would you want it portrayed? And truly, I would want it more of a creature feature, human inside of a costume. But can we do that to the point where the effect is the same as a CGI beast nowadays? Probably you couldn't. And then you'd get into a, 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 a it would be upsetting because that could be the, the pardon the expression, death roll uh, for a series. Yeah. Um, so so on. Yeah. And, and I hear you. I mean, um, they did that with Beauty and the Beast. They tried, you know, they had some scenes where there was a human in a costume, which was fine. And then you can you could automatically tell when it's not the human in the costume. So I think it's better to stick with one versus, you know, trying to do both of them. Um, right. But I, the, the makeup that they do today and then added green screen, you know, uh, CGI, you could probably get away with doing um, a human in a costume and then adding a little more extra to the actual makeup um, in certain areas. But I, I just see this going. I mean, you go with the griffin, then you have the worm. And as soon as you said worm, I'm thinking Asian. Um, their, their interpretation of dragons usually right. never was this winged creature out of, like, like King Arthur's legend. It was almost like a serpent. Um, 
very it powerful serpents. Back to the Nords as well. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Whenever you look at uh, Beowulf, after Beowulf slays uh, uh, Grundle, uh, he actually takes on a uh, on a dragon. And if you look at the original Norse, uh, it's a uh, W Y R M, the worm, and that's where you that's, get that yeah. from. That's yeah, exactly. And, it's yeah. going to be that way. And it's funny you brought up Beowulf because that is the next creature's name. Oh, ah, there, see, there you go. Homage to Beowulf. Nice. <laughs> it's actually one of my pieces of uh, of literature. I mean, this is actually the the tying together of you know paganism as we look into the the Christianity, uh, the world of Christianity burgeoning into this uh, this new world order, if you will. But I think that we can learn a lot by delving into the past because the way we think about things like dragons, it was formed by other cultures and other languages, and it just kind of come to us, you know. But if you look at how this ever evolved throughout history, the idea of the dragon is a really interesting topic, because oh, one time it was seen almost as a serpent. I mean, the, the term dragon and the term serpent, like a snake, were almost synonymous, and it's only, you know, through time that we see these great, fantastical winged creatures that are breathing fire and everything but if you look at uh you know a lot of these medieval legends about these worms that were invading these small towns and coming out of you know uh rivers to feed on on animals and people i mean it's really an astounding history and i'm glad that you're shedding some light on this yeah and i mean it makes you almost wonder were dinosaurs really extinct as far back as we are told too and whenever we talked about the Thunderbird at the very beginning as well, I think what we're talking about here, uh, when we look back into the past, I think that there is at least fragmented memories of the human uh, the human being coming in contact with things that we just assumed have been extinct for millions of years. Right. Uh, the same way with the Native American. Did they actually see a Terratorn? Uh, I'm not sure if they saw a Terratorn in North America, but I will guarantee you that somewhere along that line, an oral tradition of a huge flying bird that went uh, in front of thunderstorms to get this thermal uh, uplift so it would be able to stay aloft was part of their cultural memory. That's a pretty good theory. I, I'm I'm liking that theory because I mean, people attribute these these sightings to, you know, them being actual creatures. And you know, like Brian said, when you see something that you just can't understand, your mind starts to fill in the blanks. Oh yeah, right. it, 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 and that know. could be attributed to either you know, uh, ancestral memory or fear itself. Right, but that fear comes from something. You know, the idea of the flight or fight response, you know, that's something that's really a part of who we are instinctually. And it's almost become, um, you know, a residual type of thing. But when we really get down to brass tacks and we're in, in an environment where that's called upon, we can definitely recall uh, how we would, you know, what we need to do to stay uh, safe or to survive, especially if there's children around. I've been in situations where I've had an overabundance of uh, parental instinct come upon me because I was fearful for my children. And I think that that's part of who we are. I mean, we have to think that we are, you know, we are animals as well as these thinking beings, you know, and mm -hmm. we still have these animal instincts on us. And we were the reason why we have these animal instincts 
is, is we are afraid of things like the worm and like the the griffin and like you know vampires or werewolves, whatever, because they might not have been flesh and blood the way Hollywood portrays it, but at least it is something that has stuck with us. You know, wherever these kind of cultural memories came from, they meant something to us. So whether it was literal or, you know, it has something to do with, you know, us seeing a human in animal form just to make it psychologically palpable, uh, you know, that's, that remains to be seen. But that's my research is I'm trying to tie all this stuff in together into who we are as uh, human beings. Hmm. I mean, I've, I've always looked at it as, and through our research doing investigations, if you just, just look back at history and look at different maps that you will find from different cultures that really haven't intermingled with cultures around the globe, there are certain mm. things that you will they, they'll be on almost every map. If you go to this area, you're going to find a large hairy human. If you go into the ocean, there's this giant octopus or a squid that will pull down ships. Um, there are mer people. There are serpents. There are dragons. This is cross-cultured over time. Um, before there was lots of interactions where, you know, person uh, 3,000 miles away could know what, you know, each other has there. So mm -hmm. there has to be a little bit of truth in this. The problem is we've evolved so much and we've done so much damage to the planet itself, you know, removing the habitats. These things could have very well been alive and just died off. Wasn't that yeah. long ago that they found the silly camp again, you know, um, and they're, they're discovering new things here and there. When they, when they go out in some of the forest reaches of, of the earth, even in the ocean, they're discovering these gigantic squid so and, and an octopus. So the possibility of having these creatures alive and these cultures throughout the globe actually interacting with these things, um, you know, you see a large octopus in the water, you're going to say it's a monster. I mean, you know, especially if oh, oral history has been passed down, like don't yeah. go out there. Um, but... There's, there's, I think there's a, 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 a real, more than just a bit of truth to these, these creatures. And it's fascinating that these scientists today are trying to bring these things back. Uh, and what's actually going to happen, though, and that's a good point there, Brian, what's going to happen with this book is that people that are interested in this particular subject matter will be able to buy the book and they will actually be able to explore uh, this, this topic, you know, through your book and on their own and such. So, so with that being said, my friend, Justin, where can people find your book? They can go to straight to Amazon and type in my name, Justin Cancellari, C-A-N-C-I-L-L-I-E-R-E. -L -L -E -E. That'll bring up both the Kindle and the um, the pup, the paperback book. Uh, it, you can also go to paratruthradio.com. It's on there as well and, and an easy way to do it because you can just click on the link. Um, and then if you guys want an autograph copy, just get in contact with me at... Uh, J, my first initial, last name, Cancellari, C-A-N-C-I-L-L-I-E-R-E -E, at gmail.com, and uh, I will tell you how to get an autographed copy. Very cool, very, very cool. cool. Do, you do, do you do any conferences or anything, my friend? Oh, not at the moment. Uh, Eric and I did Scarefest a couple years ago. I definitely want to get back there. Um, definitely want to get to the... Fargo Comic-Con here in North Dakota because uh, I think that would be a good place to oh, yeah. really start. Um, and uh, my wife had just told me to 
earlier today that uh, Barnes & Noble does a local author section, so I should talk to them. Maybe I can get into just even a book signing over there. You can do I that can. easily. If you go there, yep. they will have a book signing for you. They'll they'll purchase a, a bunch of books and and they'll they'll introduce you and you can start reading a little bit from them, get them excited, and then you can sign a bunch of those books. I know someone actually that does that locally in the New York area, and that's oh, a okay. pretty big market. But um, <laughs> I mean, it's also we're going to be putting Justin's information and the book information and the podcast on our uh, Inside the Goblin Universe Facebook page as well as Facebook group and ways to get in touch with them. So you'll definitely be able to get it. We're about two minutes two minutes till the end justin um i just i wanted to thank you very much for being on the uh the, the program tonight and discussing griffin and your your paranormal stories as well um I'm still creeped out about jeffrey dahmer but... <laughs> oh i am too, I am too. yeah and, and folks paratruth radio listen in i give that show a a, a listen to and a like uh, and i'm sure that you'll find it as a rewarding experience as uh stepping on inside the goblin universe with brian and i well, thank you guys so much for having me on. I, I appreciate you taking the time to get me on here. And uh, hopefully we can get you guys on Paratruth Radio and uh, have a blast because I know that uh, you guys will enjoy Eric and we would just have a great time. Yeah, I would love to be on there with Brian. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. And also, um, we definitely look forward to having you back for the other two books. So hopefully you won't take four years in between them. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. My wife is pushing me to get the next one out within the six to eight months. So guess what happens when your wife pushes you to do something? Oh, all... oh my goodness. <laughs> we know. Brian a, Brian, a supportive wife in the paranormal industry. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Actually, my wife is very supportive. She just doesn't yes, she believe is. in any of this stuff. <laughs> Even though she's seen things that she just can't explain. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but again, thank you very much for being inside the Goblin Universe. It's been an absolute pleasure, and we'll definitely have you back for the other two books. Ron, what's coming up uh, with you? Uh, I think there's a conference this weekend, right? There is. There's going to be a conference. So this will air on Thursday. So you folks, if you are in Western Pennsylvania, I will be at the Kecksburg UFO Festival. I will be speaking on the unexplained world of the Chestnut Ridge, which is a feature in Western Pennsylvania that has a lot of sightings and cryptids and UFOs attached to it, as well as hauntings. So I will be talking about that on Sunday. So if you are in Western Pennsylvania, head to Kecksburg, Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, about 35 miles outside out of pittsburgh and come see me talk i'll be speaking on sunday that's going to be fantastic ron does a great job with that too by the way but i'm going to cue the music i'm so glad we had this time together <laughs> <laughs> yes we went a little long last time with our interviews but we, we're going to end it um, we're actually at the right time um so Ron, you do the voodoo that you do so well, sir. Uh, I will. Hey, folks, thank you very much for listening to Brian and I with our good friend Justin here from Paratruth Radio and his new book, discussing his new book, Riffin. Uh, we're going to sign out. Thanks for stepping on Inside the Goblin Universe on the Paranormal UK Radio Network's, yeah, uh, our, our little show on that uh, station there. Good night, everybody. 
Join the Out Limits magazine at the Freedom Centre, Preston Road Hull, on Saturday the 9th of September 2017, when we shall present a conference titled 70 Years of the Modern UFO Era, featuring the very best in British paranormal investigators, researchers and authors. From Hull, Mike Covell will look back at over 70 years of ufology, highlighting some cases going all the way back to 1801. Bridlington's Paul Sinclair, with his lecture on the still-developing Willsthorpe Blue Saucer incident. Following our lunch break, Russ Callahan will present a video reappraisal of the last 70 years of ufology. Associate Outer Limits magazine editor Malcolm Robinson presents UFO hotspots from around the world in this new for 2017 presentation. Our redline speaker is Philip Mantle, the former director of investigations for Bufora and a former UK representative of MUFON, presenting a review of his almost 40 years of investigations. Don't miss the never-before-seen film of a possible Roswell UFO incident witness, featuring a former US deputy sheriff who claims he witnessed bodies at the, at the site. Tickets are only £10 each and available from the Outer Limits magazine website. You can find the link to this on our Outer Limits magazine Facebook page. Or simply email theouterlimitsmag at gmail.com to receive the link. All this for only £10 each? What are you waiting for? Don't miss out. Tell your friends too. Come and be informed.